If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded; it always was, and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hi, fam, and welcome to another episode of Reclaim Me. I had the most wonderful weekend where I was able to catch up with a heap of different victim survivors in an online Zoom call, and that was done through the Survivor Support Network. It's so wonderful to be able to catch up with different victim survivors from all over the world at any given time and just be able to chat and connect and share and make new friends. I think it is just so amazing to be able to be a part of a community that you can just implicitly understand and start to widen the circle and feel safer talking with different people about something that you might have gone through or be in a conversation where people have that shared experience. So I did want to remind people at the top of this episode that if you are a victim survivor, I do welcome you to look in the show notes of this episode and make sure that you go sign up for the Survivor Support Network. This weekend, if you are in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, we are having two in-person events. So we're going out for drinks on Friday and there's a brunch on Sunday. So if you are interested in in meeting up, in having a coffee, in creating community and finding your people, then please make sure that you join. It really is fun uh, and the people on there are truly, truly amazing. Um, Second to that, before we kick off with today's episode, I just wanted to do another reminder to please go on and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. It just helps me share whatever you feel or whatever you get out of this platform as regular listeners or first-time listeners, what your thoughts are, and that helps to reach other people and it helps to widen the audience of victim survivors that this platform can reach. But without further ado, I do want to introduce today's guest, Callie Favreau. Callie is coming to us from Canada. She is a victim survivor of a violent sexual assault. It is very angry making. We do talk through a lot of that, but for now, I'll let Callie kind of introduce herself as well. 
Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. Today I am joined by Kelly, who's coming to us all of the way from Canada. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Whereabouts in Canada are you? I'm on Vancouver Island. I'm in the capital of British Columbia, uh, Victoria. We're a little island just off the the furthest west of Canada that you can possibly go. We're kind of closer to Seattle than we are Vancouver. Um, we're we're just a bunch of hippies out here. <laughs> that's that's the best way to put it. We have very spe- specific taste in our weed and in our coffee and <laughs> and our in our choice of footwear, which is usually like Birkenstocks. <laughs> it's a really it sounds nice like place. Mel- it sounds like Melbourne, which is in Victoria here. So you know we're basically at the same place. <laughs> basically twins, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the last time that we spoke, it was it was not too long ago. It was a couple of weeks ago, and um, you were in a snowstorm, was it? Like the snow was ridiculous. You couldn't leave the house, and it was thirty three degrees here. So <laughs> it was a bit of a degree Celsius, we will say, which is nice and toasty warm. So um, yeah, what's it like there at the moment? Yeah, you just had to take a stab at that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's it's nice. It's not too bad. It's about ten. Um, but we're in our rainy season right now. So um, specifically where we are here, we're in a rainforest climate. So between October and um, April is usually our rainy season. But the nice thing is, is that it stays around 10 to 12 degrees for the whole year. Basically, if it hits if it hits about three degrees, nobody goes outside. You're like, nope, it's too cold. Forget it. <laughs> we're not going anywhere today. Um, we had a snowstorm a couple of weeks that completely crippled us. We were expecting to get something like 10 to 15 centimeters at most. And we got um, almost three feet in some places. So completely took us off guard. I was snowed in for uh, four days, I think. I have an SUV and I couldn't get my SUV out. <laughs> the uh, the snow plow that actually came by to um plow the parking lot in in my apartment building um got stuck while he was <laughs> while he was shoveling and a bunch of the residents had to go and dig him out and it was it was quite comical watching it from my nice and toasty warm balcony I'll tell you that <laughs> oh my gosh it just sounds so cool because I think yeah I've only seen snow twice in my life and like never had to deal with the inconvenience of it so for me snow is like a very novelty thing and then for you it's just like yeah. no I've just no, no. <laughs> Yeah, no, and it's kind of like it's a novelty thing for some of us as well. But like, for most of us, we're just oh, no, we're not doing this today. We're we're gonna stay inside. We're gonna watch movies. And then there's the other crazy people that you know will hop in their cars and they'll drive up to Mount Washington or they'll go to Comox or somewhere in that area and go skiing. Um, our tobogganing hills are maybe twenty feet. <laughs> Like it's, it's nothing to write home about, (laughs) Um, but we still have fun out here. It is, it's a lot of fun watching um, the drivers out here, try to maneuver their way through snow because they can't. So (laughs) we're on the West coast, like we're not used to snow, but like anywhere East of us can completely handle snow. So if you find somebody with like an Alberta license plate, tail them on the highway because they absolutely know how to drive and they know how to drive through snow. That's kind of like the golden rule here. Yeah. And that's honestly one of the only reasons that I don't go up to the snow on my own or with some of my friends, because none of us know what we're doing. And I'm not about to put myself driving in snow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good driver, but I've got a, a tiny little, like little hatchback car. A gust of wind comes along and we're gone. So I've just, <laughs> I'll wait until somebody who knows much better than I 
<laughs> can at least advise. <laughs> Fair enough. I wish more people out here had that attitude, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's not snowing like so I, I can like, you know, in my day to day life. So I can get away with it. That's an, an the, like novelty kind of aspect. Um, but yeah. I'm so, it's just so funny, I think, to me to be able to have these conversations with somebody literally on the other side of the world. Like, I just, I still find that absolutely bonkers. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really kind of crazy how cool technology is. Because, I mean, to to actually have a live conversation with somebody who says, I've only seen snow twice in my life. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that sounds so nice. It must be so lovely where you are all the time. <laughs> It definitely yeah. isn't. I mean, um, Melbourne is definitely known for its um, four seasons in one day type of thing. And the other day it was actually <laughs> bananas. It just did that. And I've got two people living with me that are, that are traveling here from um, from Ireland. And we were, <laughs> we're just sitting, it was 37 degrees. It was so hot. It was like oh, no. so hot that like I, I woke up really early in the morning to take my dog for a walk and it was too hot then. It was like a, he's going to burn his poor little paws on the ground, so oh. it's not worth it. And then all of a sudden within 10 minutes, the dark clouds come over, it dropped by 10 degrees and it started like raining like and hailing. It was absolutely crazy. And then it just rained for the rest of the night and it dropped down to be quite cool and it was just it was a very bizarre, but it's just like they were shocked and I was just sitting there going like, this is just so Melbourne and giggled and walked away. <laughs> it's, so, it's so typical. Amazing. No kidding, right? Yeah, we had a heat dome here a couple of years ago and it hit 50 degrees um, for three days. And it was really crazy because they, they called it a dome and I couldn't quite understand like, what's a heat dome? Like, what's going on with this? But you're essentially in this bubble where the air doesn't move. So there's no breeze whatsoever. It's just heat all the time. There's no there's no gusts. There's nothing in the air. And it hit 50. Um, the province itself ended up losing about 600 people um, over the course of a couple of days because people just, they, they essentially cooked. Um, one town entirely burnt down because it was so hot. The village of Lytton um, completely burnt to the ground in the matter of I think it was about a day and a half and people are still dealing with that. It's insane. <laughs> it's insane what climate change is doing straight across the board. Cause the idea of having like four seasons in one day, that's nuts to me. <laughs> and the idea of like dying in a heat wave out here also nuts to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's absolutely insane. And that's, that's so terrible and terrifying, like 50 degrees. Like I can't, I don't think I've ever been in 50 degree heat before. I mean, obviously Australia is known for being hot, but high forties, well, in the 40s or mid-40s, I think it's probably, I mean, I'm not a meteorologist or weather person, like I, I know that, but you know what I mean? Like that's just absolute insanity to think about and the dangers of that in rainforest locations as well. Um, and it's the right. same with with throughout Victoria as well. We've got such des- dense bushland. Um, and sadly, a few years ago, we had the Black Saturday fires, which killed hundreds and hundreds of people. And people died without even being consumed by flames because the heat got up to like 800 degrees Celsius. So if you were within a, um, a, a space of the fire, you would just die. You're, you wouldn't be able to breathe. It sucked all of the oh oxygen out of the air. So, you know, it was just insane. And we've gone off topic. This is very morbid, but I think it's just, you know, it's just one thing is all about discussing and meeting people from the other side of the world. And it's just crazy <laughs> to hear, you know, like you're in, you've got a snowplow and then you've got the extreme <laughs> of 50 degree heat. I'm like that, that is climate change. That's crazy. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. We're again, like we're hippies. We're really up on this out here. We're, we're completely aware of what's going on. We, we really, we would like our planet not to burn. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same. Um, and I saw Greta Thunberg the other day, she got arrested in Germany, I think. Yes. Now, where was she? She was, Anyway, she got arrested and she's just got this little grin on her face and she was being, she's actually so funny. She was being chased by these male reporters um, and they were like, Greta, Greta, because she's walking in the snow and they were like, when is climate change going to hit here? When is when is oh, this going to start warming up? And she just starts pissing herself laughing. And I'm just like, this: the ignorance of this idiot, <laughs> he's got no idea. <laughs> there are all these like conservatives who don't think climate change is real. They don't understand what global warming means. And she just starts laughing and it was just, it was just iconic. She, I think she's just mastered that bit within the media of knowing I'm not going to correct you because the internet who is going to view this is going to take (laughs) you down and me laughing is just better. (laughs) It's perfect. Yeah. Finally, keyboard warriors to the rescue, right? (laughs) I love it. Um, I love this chat and I've I've loved every moment of, um, of getting to chat with you over the last couple of months that we've been interacting and emailing and, you know, having phone conversations, but, um, do you mind telling us a little bit more, I guess, about yourself and about um, your story, if you feel like when where that kind of starts for you? Um, so I'm, uh, I guess the best place to start is um, I, I was uh, violently sexually assaulted in uh, the early hours of September uh, 1st, 2015 by somebody that I was casually seeing. Um, the it's it's one of those things where you always look back in a relationship and you're like, you idiot, what the hell were you doing sticking around in this mess? Like, you know better, you're smarter than this. What were you doing? Um, and it's one of those, it was one of those relationships where you ne- where I now look back and reflect and like, I don't know who I was um, back when this happened, but uh, I'm certainly not the same person today. I am way stronger and I am way more determined and I'm not necessarily angrier, but I have a little bit of a fire lit under, lit under my ass right now, I guess. Um, so I was, uh, I was pretty violently sexually assaulted, um, for a couple of hours, uh, in the middle of the night. Um, I am one of the very lucky ones who managed to get away, uh, bruised, um, uh, had, had, I had ties on my arms or my, excuse me, my wrists and my ankles, um, fairly tight ones and I was able to kick out of them. Um, and, uh, once, once the attack was over, I I was lucky enough that I was able to walk away. Um, got outside, got to my car and was like, I think I'm just going to go on about my day. Like I, 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 like this probably wasn't too bad because again, this is what your mind is, right? Like this is what happens. Um, went to work, carried on with my day. And, um, then he texted me, a few days later asking me if I wanted a lasagna dish. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, are, are you seriously texting me right now? Like, dude, like, do you know what you tried to do? Like, do you know what you did? Um, so we got into this huge text fight and I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to the cops. And when I went to the cops, I went to the cops cause I was angry. It wasn't cause I thought that the cops were actually going to do anything. Um, even though I wasn't as active in sort of my activism and my advocacy work then, I still knew that the stats in Canada for successfully having charges pressed um, and successfully going through the, the court system 
um, the odds were very much against me, but I was just yeah. mad enough that I was like, you know what? I'm just reporting this asshole, like, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> so it started, um, it started a bit of a, a seven year battle <laughs> as a result of that one phone call. Um, and you know, looking back on that, had he not texted me to say, Hey, do you want your lasagna dish back? I don't think I would have reported probably right away. Um, if at all, but because he texted me saying, you know, um, do you want your lasagna dish back? I did go to the cops and I, I told them everything. And in horrible detail, I gave them six weeks worth of um, abuse and um, mistreatment, I suppose. Um, and I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. Um, and then I went to trial. And wow. then I spent six hours on the stand um, testifying. I had my my character picked apart at. I had my my dignity questioned, my my ethics questioned. I had everything about me questioned. And I'm like, I'm not the asshole here. <laughs> like I'm not the one on trial. What like why am I getting picked apart? Now, the thing is is that um, because I know I know what happened to me. He knows what happened to me as well. He'll never admit it, but he knows what he did. Um he lied about the evidence that uh, that they presented against me. So it was funny, you know, we're, I'm, I'm on stand and I'm telling my story to a room full of strangers who don't know me, who are now looking at me, <laughs> like telling, telling people about the worst night of my life, um, trying to hold it together as best I can. Um, and this guy is sitting not too far from me. I'd say probably 10 feet away from me. And he's, he's kind of snickering at me. Like he's doing those every time I say something during the trial, it was, it was quite, it was disgusting. <laughs> that's, that's the only way to put it. It was disgusting. Well, it's patronizing. Um, and it's also, why was that not called out and made for him to shut up? Because that is, could potentially influence a, a jury. It's not yeah, so- scoffing at somebody when it's not your turn to speak should be called out. And made to stop. Yes, a hundred percent. I I was lucky. I my my crown that I had. Um, he was he's brilliant. I have nothing but the absolute utmost respect for the crown that was working with me. I was also lucky in that I didn't have a jury trial. It was just a trial by judge. Um, okay. So the crown put the crown ended up kind of hearing like, is he is he snickering right now? So they, uh, I, I'm not too sure the legal term of this, but um, it's like where they stopped court and then they kicked me out of court so that they could have like words behind chambers. But they did this about six times um, throughout the course of the day. And every time that I had to get off stand, I would hold it together. And then as soon as I would get outside the doors, I would immediately throw up into a trash can. And it it just wouldn't stop happening. I'm like, you gotta be, you gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> like I have to get back in there and testify. Um, they eventually got him to stop sort of like one of those sort of like snickering or exhaling in disgust. I don't know how to describe the sounds that he was making, but they got him to stop. Um, The, the evidence that was presented against me, um, they tried to say that I left my ripped underwear at, um, at his condo. And they tried using my ripped underwear as evidence against me. Only it wasn't my ripped underwear. And your your female viewer or your female listeners will get a good kick out of this um, because I was on stand and the defense pulls, pulls out this Ziploc bag 
of these little tiny black, uh, I want to say like a bikini brief, like a, or not even a bikini, like a Brazilian sort of brief. Um, and it's ripped. And I'm like, how many pairs of ripped underwear does this asshole have in his house? First of all, like that's insane. And then I looked at the size and I said, oh, it's a size medium. Um, so nobody can actually see me right now, but I haven't been a medium since high school. <laughs> like there was no way that those would ever fit me. So in front of a judge and under oath, I was like, what, what about this? And I sort of pointed myself like, what about this looks like I could ever fit into a medium? <laughs> it's like, oh, it, there's no way in hell a woman on stand would ever say, no, I wear a size extra large underwear, <laughs> like under oath, right? Um, so yeah, they, they tried using underwear against me. That wasn't mine. They, they cited a blog that I actually had up and I don't have it up anywhere. I took it down because it got too much heat. Um, I had a blog about, uh, what it was like trying to date after divorce. Cause I was newly divorced and this is, it was sort of my journey and it was called from dinner to doggy style. And I thought it was kind of a cute little title. Um, yeah. but they ended up using that against me. They were like, Oh, look at her history. Look at all the people that she's had sex with. Look at all the people that, you know, she's met over the course of the years. Like, yeah, but that was all consensual. <laughs> like, how, how are we not understanding this? But in Canada, isn't the precedent that your sexual history cannot be used against you? You cannot use inflammatory information like that in a court in Canada. You're not supposed to be able to do that in Australia either, where you're utilizing these outdated terms. Like that is an awesome title from dinner to doggy style. You should write a book called that. That is brilliant (laughs) because of course it's part of dating. You've got one night stands, you've got other things, you've got exploits with people, you've got friends with benefits. And also you've, you've, you're navigating a world outside on your own, you know, with a massive change uh, following a divorce. Like that is an incredible thing. It's an empowering thing. And for somebody to try and use that in any way against you, but it, that is illegal, is is it not? Is that not breaking the code of conduct? It is illegal, so it got squashed down pretty quick. They tried right. bringing it up anyway. Um, his lawyer was a just an absolute idiot. Um, <clears throat> so the thing about my blog is that after my attack, um, and I didn't realize what I was doing um, at the time, but it ended up being greatly beneficial to me. Um, after my attack, I started writing. And I started writing about all the shit things that happened over that course of six weeks, all the things that had physically happened to me, that had mentally and emotionally happened to me. And I wrote and I submitted that entry as my victim impact statement. And that's why my blog was able to be brought up in court, because technically I had already introduced the evidence, I guess. But like like I was saying, this lawyer wasn't very bright. So um he he tried saying you plagiarized your victim impact statement and i'm like excuse me <laughs> he's like yeah you plagiarized it he's like you got it from a blog called from dinner to doggy style i was like oh are you serious i'm like and who's the author on that <laughs> and so they looked at the author and the author's name was fabs 1183 so my last name is favro and i was born in november of 83 so when I told him that, he's like, oh, this is your blog. Then. <laughs> like you didn't plagiarize anything. And they dropped it. They dropped it. The guy essentially at that point had no evidence against me that I was a shitty person, that I was a liar, that I was making everything up. It was but incredible. I just, I just don't understand. Like what an idiot. Like, do you right? not like, 
if you're going to bring a claim of plagiarism, which is a very, very <laughs> serious charge, like if you're going to bring up plagiarism, at least do the due diligence of making sure that it is. <laughs> he just like Googled it, like wrote something in, goes, oh, my God, it's plagiarized, as if it wasn't clear from the author's username that it was you. Like <laughs> at least check. Right. <laughs> I'm I'm really hoping that it was like an unpaid intern that was oh. just like, you know what? I'm screwing this guy over because I'm not getting paid right now. I'm going to make him Some, look like yeah. a tip. Some bad, badass woman has just been like, I'm going to do this because he's a dickhead. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh, my gosh. So anyway, so that this all happens in like a day, right? So it was it was a very, um, it was a really shitty long day. But I got off the stand. I was like, okay, I think that went really well. Fast forward to the verdict. So there was two charges of sexual assault against him. Um, he was found not guilty on one charge. Now, I, I it took me a long time to to get this through my head. Not guilty does not mean innocent at all. It it just means that for whatever reason, I wasn't able to prove ninety nine percent beyond a reasonable doubt that that specific attack happened to me. So. <laughs> I try not to talk about that attack because I don't really see the point in talking about that because I got him on the the bigger attack that he did. So he was found guilty on the second charge, the the, the attack that lasted two hours. Um, huge relief. When I left the courtroom, the Crown pulled me into, um, it, it, I, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but outside of courtrooms, we have these tiny little closets <laughs> Um, where where like the crown will like speak to a witness or whatever, right? Like just so it's not out of the hallway. Um, so he pulled me into this little closet and he's like, I couldn't tell you this before the trial, but I want you to know that you're not the first one to report this guy. You're just the first one to make it this far. <gasps> and I mean, so full body yeah. chills. Right. So when he told me that I like, I immediately, like, I, I, I kind of went limp. I was like, Oh my God. And I started bawling. I was like that poor woman. And I found out eventually that it was the same um, attack style that was done on me. So this guy absolutely had um, a method of choice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So that one, that one really stuck with me and uh, that one sucked. Fast forward to December 2016, he gets uh, sentenced, conditional sentence of 18 months house arrest, um, two years probation, 10 years on the sex offender registry, can't come near me, can't do anything else. However, there's no firearms restrictions on him, which is kind of weird. Like I like never, never was there a gun issue in this relationship at all. But like, really, like you're not restricting a violent person against owning guns. It's it's baffling. Um, so he got house arrest, and the conditions of his house arrest was uh, it was broken into three six month chunks, and for one of the one of the six month chunks, he was supposed to be inside from um, I think it was like eight p.m. till six a.m. And it's like, well, so is everyone else. <laughs> like, what, what does this mean? And then the next chunk of time was, okay, he has to be in from like 9 p.m. until 7 a.m. And then the next time it was like, okay, you only have to be in the house between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. And it was just these weird little like extra privileges that he ended up getting. And I was like, he's he's got to be home during times where he only has to sleep. 
like, how is this fair? Like he still gets to go on with his, his life. He still gets to go on about his day. And like, I, like, I have to deal with this shit. Like, are you kidding me? This sucks. I found out that part of the reason, um, that house arrest was, um, the sentence of choice, <laughs> I guess, is because in Canada, um, we have a really shitty jail system here where basically if you if you're a really good person and you serve like two thirds of your jail sentence and you don't get into trouble, you can you're out like you don't have to go back to jail, um, which is it's super shitty, in my opinion. So the idea behind the house arrest was to make sure that he did a full 18 months but again, he was doing a full 18 months when he was sleeping. So <laughs> so did did he get a custodial sentence at all? Did he go to jail? No. So he no, was just never. given, you're completely fine to act as you will. You can go to the shops. You can go on dates. Um, you can do anything that you want between the hours that a normal person would be out in the day. Go to work. You can earn an income. You can abuse other women. Um, and then you can come home and sleep easy at night. Also, just on that, <laughs> how are they tracking his whereabouts during the house arrest period? Is this just a rule that if he gets caught or is he being tracked with his phone or? No, he, um, there wasn't like a, like an ankle bracelet or anything like that on him. It was just occasionally an officer will show up to your door. And if you don't answer, we'll put a warrant out for your arrest. <laughs> okay, fine. So what I heard was, um, is not that. A- that's just babysitting. It's not. It's not right. <laughs> oh, so I. Oh, I know. I know. I'm I sorry. Know. I'm sorry. It's. It's. I'm not laughing at. Um. Somebody sat down. A, a heap of lawmakers sat down in boardroom, probably mostly men, <laughs> Wait, and they yeah. were like, "You know what would be a really great idea if we just <laughs> didn't hold people to account? Because what are they? What's his excuse going to be if somebody came came and he wasn't at home? I was sleeping." I got yeah. drunk that night and I was asleep. I didn't know that somebody was at the door. Like, this is not accountability for offenders. This is, again, and I will say it really clearly, this is the decriminalization of sexual assault. This person has Absolutely. been found guilty of a prolonged and very violent attack, and he was given house arrest, which isn't house arrest. He was given yeah. a time frame that he has to be home. He's given a curfew. That is not house arrest, and that is absolutely not an acceptable thing. The amount of people that are coming on and speaking to me or that I speak to outside of this channel who have even gained convictions out of sexual assault have not had custodial sentences out of them. They have had offenders who have had absolutely no repercussions for being found guilty. And when people ask, why why don't victims come forward more? It's because at the end of the day, Yes, he is on a sex offenders registry. Yes, if somebody else comes forward and gets to that point, then maybe he'll have be held to account. But like you just said, there's been somebody who hadn't got that far, like with the same modus operandi that he was operating under. Like it is just, I'm sorry, I just get so worked up because it's just, it is always put back I on the victims as a victim's problem and as a victim's fault. And it's just like this system is so fucked you know, the one thing that America maybe sometimes gets right is the fact that they put these people, they tend to put these people actually away for a, a period of time that's the, that meets what they should get, you know. Yes. Not to say that that happens all the time. Obviously it doesn't. But to be an Australian and to be a Canadian, 
it is so difficult when you just have these violent sexual offenders or child sex offenders or people who have a propensity to sexually offend that have had previous charges potentially brought against them be given non-custodial sentences and absolutely no repercussions. Yeah. Um, it's It was frustrating as well. I mean, I, one of the things that I heard um, was that he moved to a place called Seanigan Lake. And so Seanigan Lake is about, um, it's about a 25 minute drive from where I am, but it's also considered lake country. And so he was surrounded by lakes. He had all this property to run around on to do whatever the hell he wanted. He wasn't allowed to drink or do drugs. I don't actually believe that he didn't do that, but whatever. But I mean, he, he moved out of Victoria, like the city, and moved into the country with all this free space and all this all this shit that he could, you know, get into. And as long as he was on the property, it was fine for him to to to, to exist. It's so fucked, right? Um, and again, if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Just going back to the um the sex offender registry. So, um one of the things I wanted to address as well but uh, will, uh, hopefully later on in the chat is what's happening to the Canadian sex offender registry as of about 3 months ago. Um it turns out that just randomly putting or not randomly I shouldn't say that excuse me. Putting convicted sex offenders on the sex offender registry is against your charter rights in Canada. So, <laughs> so a bunch of yahoos basically sat around. They're like, you know what? 
you can't just because you sexually offended somebody does not mean that you should automatically go on the sex offender registry. And the case is from um, Edmonton, Alberta. And it was this guy that was at this house party um, and he he grabbed women by their vaginas and he he got charged like he got convicted of grabbing these women by their vaginas. I think one of them was actually asleep and he grabbed her, um, <clears throat> which is fucking gross. Anyway, so he got put on the sex offender registry list and his legal team was successfully able to argue that he wasn't as violent as as a like somebody who actually raped somebody. And I don't like using those words, but I hope that you and your audience know what I what I, what I mean by that. But what they're saying is, is that because he just groped somebody, it's not as bad as actually raping somebody. Therefore, he shouldn't be on the registry and automatically applying the, him to the registry is a violation of his charter rights. So in Canadian Supreme Court at the end of October, in a five to four vote, the Supreme Court said, yeah, you know what? We need to reevaluate this law. Not everybody should be on the sex offender list. So this goes back to 2011 with a, with our Harper, our conservative Harper government. Um, and it looks as though anybody who had a sex offender conviction from 2011 onwards can now apply to get the sex offender status off of their name because if, if the crime wasn't violent enough um, or if it wasn't evil enough, you, you probably shouldn't be on the sex offender list. And it was a violation of your charter rights. I can't tell you how fucking mad I was when I read that. I'll happily send you the link <laughs> later. But like, rage 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 it was so bad that when i hit the news um because i'm so vocal about publication bans and sexual assault advocacy work out here i had global news call me or email me and say do you have an opinion on this i'm like you're sure fucking right i do what time can you get a camera here <laughs> it's absolutely nuts. so is it yeah. for all sex offenses doesn't matter age doesn't matter okay <clears throat> first of all they said his wasn't as violent as. There is an understanding there that any type of sexual act, any type of groping, any type of anything along those lines is a violent act in and of itself. You should not be putting your hands on anybody else without their consent and permission expressly. Mm-hmm. Second of all, who the fuck decides what kind of level of violence that that is? You've got people who have a propensity for sexual violence and they've been found guilty of it. You have, they have a propensity to not care. Like this person that you're talking about specifically has done it multiple times, okay? And the importance of having somebody like that on a registry is that if they do offend again in what somebody else seems to be a lower level, then, then they can be actively managed in a better way. They can be held to account. It is absolutely ridiculous. I do understand the logic of sometimes needing to remove somebody from sex offenders registries. For example, in Australia, there were kids that were going on the sex offenders registry who were sharing pictures of themselves with their boyfriend and girlfriend, but they were both under the age of consent. So if you were to take a photo of yourself as a 14-year-old and then send it to another 14-year-old, you've technically just distributed child abuse material because it's distribution of naked children. And if you right. were then to be involved in the the sharing of that in a wider performance, that that is definitely illegal. But some of these people were getting on a sex offenders registry. Now, when we're talking about children who are unwillingly and unknowingly committing sex offenses, in, in this specific example, I'm not ever discounting 
you know, mm-hmm. other things. And I'm not discounting that distribution of those photos and videos and things like that wider isn't incredibly harmful it is but is the action for those people to be on a sex offenders registry are they actually a sexual danger or have they not understood the law not understood the implications and things like that that they shouldn't be on a lifelong register for taking a photo of themselves and sending it to their boyfriend girlfriend at the time and i understand it in that sense and that's where i always say like in government can we not have a fucking common sense clause This child does not need to be on the sex offenders registry, no, but somebody who has been consistently and actively groping violently women, Mm -hmm. they should be actively managed. I'm sorry. Where is the, the, the common sense clause that comes in that can distinguish these two things? Yes, maybe the right thing is that 100% of people, but if somebody's been found guilty of a sex crime, why would that not go on a sex offenders registry? Right. And one of the things that um, there was an there was an uh, an argument put out by a female BC lawyer um, and her whole thing was like, oh, this is going to prevent people who, you know, might have been convicted of a sex offense just for giving somebody an unwanted kiss. And I'm like, do you know how fucking hard it is to get sex assault charges? You're not getting a fucking charge for giving somebody a kiss, dude. Like nobody is getting charged for giving somebody an unwanted kiss, not one fucking person. So I asked her on Twitter, I'm like, can you cite one case in Canada where someone has gone to jail for an unwanted hug or somebody has gone to jail for an unwanted uh, kiss? Radio fucking silence. So <clears throat> what you were saying about, you know, being able to warn people um, and, you know, people like this should come with a warning. That's that's part of the reason I'm on your show today. Yeah. Um, and it's because, you know, I wasn't able to give people a warning about what happened to me. Um, I did anyway, because fuck it, I didn't care. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't legally able to give anybody a warning about what happened to me because I had a publication ban that was on my name that was put on my name without my knowledge or consent in November of 2015. I found out about that ban in December of 2020. Um, and I found out by accident. So what happened was, uh, after, after my trial, uh, he appealed, um, in September of 2017. So he was already like halfway done his sentence at that point. Right. And he's like, no, no, I appeal. And he appealed on the conditions that the, that the judge was too mean to him, which I, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like she wasn't mean enough. But why would you (laughs) even contest? Why would you appeal? a sexual assault case that you did not get a custodial sentence for. Like, is it, I wonder if the timing of that is a very deliberate thing. If he's been under good behavior and he has shown that good behavior and has shown that and then times his appeal in that sense, is that what he's trying to look for? Sympathy and empathy to say that actually he is doing a good thing and hope to get some, man, what a, what a sneak (laughs) Sneaky little snake that is. That's a tactic that right? is. What a little shit. What an absolute prick, right? Um, I'm 100% with you. So when I found out about this, I was like, this asshole here. So then he, so then the the appeal gets dragged out for three years. So the appeal was supposed to happen at the beginning of 2020, but we all know the world kind of shut down around that time. So everything got delayed. Um, so then in September of 2020, the appeal was heard by another justice and the justice is like, yeah, no, we're, you're not appealing this. Like you fucked up, (laughs) take your lashings, go the fuck away, stop wasting our time. So then in December of that year, I was like, 
oh, my trial should be up online. So this varies in Canada from province to province. And so British Columbia has this thing called court services online. And it's where you can go on a government website, on the provincial government's website, and you can look at all the upcoming court cases or historical court cases. Now, you can't necessarily see transcriptions or whatever of every single court case, but you can find out if somebody has had, you know, uh, traffic tickets, or if somebody has assaulted somebody like with a weapon, if somebody has committed fraud, if somebody has um, stolen something or name a crime, including murder. And it's on this list. Sexual assaults are missing. For the most part, they are 100% missing. Now, women across British Columbia, uh, and I'm, I'm using women generally here, and I understand that men use it too, but just for the sake of argument, I just want to say women during this. Um, Women use the CSO as a tool to check on somebody that they're hanging out with, you know, to make sure that they're not a shitty person, that they're not going to steal your credit card. They're not going to put a fist through your, through your drywall. Right. Um, but sexual assaults aren't on there. And so I was looking for my case. I'm like, my case isn't on there. I'm like, he's a convicted sex offender and he's lost his appeal. Like this should be on here. This should hundred percent be on the site. So I went to the courts and I was like, do you know when his, name is going to be public because like in the back of my mind, I'm like, women need to be warned because the sex offender registry in Canada is not made public. So the CSO is basically all that we have right now to make sure that, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, to make sure that the person that we're about to go on a date on isn't a violent predator. And I will say as well that we're the same with the registry in Australia. It's not a public forum. It's not a public thing either. I think our systems are quite similar, obviously being Commonwealth countries. Um, mm -hmm. but I think it is just, what's the point? Yeah. What, 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 what on earth is the point of having a registry? But, but continue. I'm sorry. It's just like, no, you're, you're, and you're totally right. Like, what's the point of having a registry if we can't fucking access it? This is how people get hurt. So I, I figured out that there was this ban on my name and I'm like, oh, well, I never asked for the ban. It should be easy enough to get off. Nope. <laughs> seven months of back and forth figuring out paperwork there's no information online by the way how to get this stupid fucking ban off your name i will be changing that <laughs> over the next year um a group of women that i'm working with we are in the process of getting a website done up where there's like a step-by-step -step guide on how to get this stupid ban off your name <clears throat> what, so, is the, what is this publication ban what is it it's similar to um one of the laws that you guys had in australia where you cannot publish the name of a sex, uh, a sexual uh, compl a complainant, like a victim complainant. Um, and that person can also not identify themselves as a survivor of a sex assault. So right. you can say um, John Smith was convicted of sexual assault, but I couldn't say John Smith was convicted of sexually assaulting me. Yes. Um, and that's that's part of the problem. And not everybody wants to be identified, and that's cool. Like that's that's totally up to up to the survivor. And that's one of the things that I'm campaigning for right now is to make sure that survivors have a choice because I didn't. And in fact, all of the women that I have worked with and that I am currently working with did not have a choice in the application of this ban on their name, and they had to fight to get it off. I'm the, the first. Same, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, and it shouldn't be like that. It should not be like that. There should be, it should be a choice. Um, and I can definitely so, um, hook you up with some of the people that actually fought to get that change. And I think many people and Australian listeners will know the names Nina Fennell and Grace Tame. Grace Tame became the Australian of the Year. And that was through the Let Us Speak campaign. And that was, Let Us Speak campaign was on the back of this, which did, it meant that if you had, like even myself, uh, my the, the man who offended against me, I never name him. Maybe I will now. His name's Christopher Lorden. So he offended against me. Bravo. That was the first time I've ever said that. <laughs> Bravo. He, that's that's her, I just got goosebumps. Just it's such a proud moment. I'm so I'm so yeah. proud of you. Thanks. Um well, he was the man who offended against me. He was found guilty of that and he actually got a custodial sentence and went to jail for that. But I found out during that time that the Let Us Speak campaign came out that was if I actually did speak his name, I would be up to uh, a fine and I would potentially go to jail. Now, I don't know formally, and I will have to look this up if these laws are completely overturned, but I do know that there is a ban on the use of the law kind of. It's not a formal legislative reform that's gone through, but because of the outrage, because of everything, they're like, well, we're not going to put a woman in jail for naming her offender after he was found guilty. So Mm -hmm. I think we're in a middle ground. It might have gone through, but I'll have to do some digging. But yes, and that's the fear. And what the fuck? Like, how are we supposed to protect people in the future? Right. And so when I started campaigning about um, these publication bans and I started going public with like, hey, like women, everybody, anybody who's ever been sexually assaulted, you might have this stupid ban on your name and you might not realize that you have this stupid ban on your name. Like, let's let's talk about this. Like, let's let's start working on this. And so when I put out um, I put out sort of a story on a survivor's forum and I said, I'm like, my name is Kelly. I survived a sexual assault by Ken Erickson in 2015. This is my story. And I had a woman contact me and she asked me a question about my attack that I, I've never said publicly aside from the courtroom. Um, and she asked me this very specific question that only somebody would know if they were attacked in the same manner. And at that point, I was like, oh my God, he's attacked her too. So I started speaking with her. I was like, I like, I believe you. I a hundred percent believe you. Like, let's, let's talk about this. When did this happen? And she said it happened in November of 2018. And I was like, well, he was a convicted sex offender then. Like he, he had been convicted. Like he was, he had just gotten off of his sentence in June of 2018. What, what's happened here? And so she went to the police and reported, um, charges went nowhere. They didn't tell her that there would that there was people that existed before her um that there was people like me and the woman before me who had a complaint against the same guy um it was heartbreaking like if this ban had not been on my name ken's name would have been on the cso from day 1 and he would have been known as somebody with a sexual assault charge against him and then a sexual assault conviction. Now, this woman that contacted me said that she did go on the CSO because like I was saying, like we use it as a tool out here and we've used it as a tool out here for years to make sure that we're safe. She didn't see his name. So she thought that he was a safe guy. And with this ban on my name, it resulted in at least one other person getting hurt violently the same way that I was. Yeah. It's infuriating. It's infuriating. So I I got pissed. Um, I got the ban off my name in June of 2021. 
um, I became the first person in British Columbia's history to get the ban off their name by self-representing, um, which was pretty fucking badass. <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have any law background, <laughs> but I, I went in front of a BC Supreme Court justice and I pleaded my case and he agreed with me. And he's like, yeah, you don't need the ban on your name anymore. Go speak your name. People can print your name. People can tell your story. Go do your thing. And I did. And I, I've been very public about publication bans since then. So um, it turns out that there was other women that were also working across Canada um, trying to get awareness raised about publication bans as well. And we didn't know each other. We just kept finding each other on Twitter. It's like, hey, you're doing publication ban stuff. Like, there's another one of us. Holy crap. And now I think there's like 12 of us in a WhatsApp chat. And there's there's a group of us that are like, that have gone to Ottawa, uh, like our Canada's capital. And we, we, we've spoken in front of the justice committee. They were doing um, a report on the obligations uh, to crime, uh, to the victims of crime. And our recommendations ended up making it into the final report in just, just a couple of months ago, just right. in December. Um, and the recommendations were that uh, victim complainants need to be given the option of this ban and they need to know how to get this ban off their name. And then they took it a step further. And this was one of the recommendations that the justice committee came up with on their own. It wasn't one of ours, um, but they said, we want to make sure that there's trauma, a trauma informed approach that crown prosecutors are, are taking when it comes to dealing with each individual case, because every single case, every single survivor that they get in front of them is going to be different from the last. Um, it's, it was, it was refreshing to see. And it was, oh God, it was such a fucking relief. <laughs> Cause like you're screaming about something for so many years and like, you know, it's just a small group of women and we're trying to take on the Supreme Court. We're trying to take on senators. We are very fortunate. There's a beautiful MP here in Victoria. Her name is Laurel Collins, and she is just absolutely fantastic. She is, uh, she's co she's sponsored the petition with the federal government that we've launched to, to call for changes, to, uh, to apply pressure. Um, she's going to be introducing legislation this session, which should be kicking off I think next Monday, I can't remember what the, what the Ottawa session schedule is. Um, our letters have been going out to senators. Um, we, we've been in contact with um, Ending Violence Canada, um, uh, West Coast Leaf. It's a, a legal service for women. We have a lot of support on our side. And our online petition has uh, just, oh, just under 1,900 signatures. We are expecting a relatively massive boost on that over the next couple of weeks. We have... Um, uh, we have a uh, ending violence. Canada is doing a feature on us and sending stuff out in their newsletters about us. Um, and uh, Canadian true crime is going to be doing um, an episode on publication bans as well. From what I've heard, uh, I think it's March 1st, but we're hoping that with national attention, we can do what Australia has done and try to give Canadian survivors a voice and give us our, give us a choice. <laughs> And if we and if we want to say our name, because it's really fucking frustrating when you can't. And it's really fucking frustrating when you want to be able to warn other people in the city that you live in. And Victoria is very, very small. Everyone here is connected to each other by maybe a degree of separation at absolute most. It is critical that we are able to speak freely if we choose um, about the people who hurt us because we live in a small city. 
there's like 400,000 of us here. It's not very much. <laughs> it's it, we need to, we need to do something. Yeah. And I think the other thing is as well, like you can see the advocacy that you are doing, the advocacy that other victim survivors are doing. And it's, it's frustrating to to have to advocate this much for the rights of a victim. And the other thing I just want to go back to quickly on is the fact that there was another woman who came forward who went to the police because you, you referred to your own kind of thing as a complaint. You're, you were the case where he was charged and convicted of a sex offence, right? So it's not just a complaint. It, it, it's, it's actually being charged with this crime. So we're talking about somebody who's on a sex offenders registry who has a conviction against him and who has served, albeit a shit one, a sentence for that crime. And his appeal was revoked. Like that, th- this is the situation we're in. Some other victim comes forward and makes a complaint against him. How does that not bear the burden of proof? Like, how does that not warrant something going forward further than that? Now, we don't know all of the situation, obviously, but you would think logic would dictate that one would go, okay, maybe he hasn't learned his fucking lesson. Maybe being on house arrest wasn't enough to teach him (laughs) because we didn't give him any education. We didn't help in any way. He actually didn't really get any consequences from the crimes that he committed. Maybe he has actually gone and done it again. And the fact that they can then look in and say, somebody else has also said it. This is three people coming forward. We know that 14% of people who have been sexually assaulted come forward if ever. So we're talking about potentially three women here being the 14%. What mm-hmm. other levels of offending is he doing? What is he learning from his offences now? Well, what he's learning is that um, if he leaves somebody alive, that they're going to speak out potentially, which is potentially putting yeah. women in further danger. So it just frustrates me because the the protection of women shouldn't just be on women reporting, women allocating, like, you know, obviously the publication ban needs to go through, but where is like, where is the authority's accountability to be responsible for women's safety? If somebody comes forward and makes an allegation and they've already been found guilty of another sex offence, understand the totality of that and do something about it. Like that just, for it to be solely on you to have to advocate for yourself to remove a publication, Ben, to name yourself and publicly speak out about this asshole. Like I just, it frustrates me beyond words because these are the actions that lawmakers should be doing, that law enforcement should be doing to protect us. But yet you're here flying a flag, trying your absolute best to prevent women from going through what you've had to go through. And I I admire that and I think it's wonderful, but it also pisses me off because you shouldn't have to bear that burden alone. And it always falls on victims. And I'm sorry, I'm getting so worked up. I'm just. No, no, I share your passion. It pisses me this. off. You're right. Yeah, I, I I hear you. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, especially with the women that came forward. Again, like I did not. I've never, and I and I and I won't because I can't say the words. I can't bring myself to say the words again. But there is no fucking way that this woman could have possibly have known to ask me what she asked me, unless she was in the courtroom. And there was nobody in the courtroom because there was a publication man on my name, so nobody was allowed in court. Like. That's the baffling part is that her statement to police would have, I don't want to say mirrored because it probably wasn't exact. You know what I mean? But it was close enough. (laughs) Like that's, that's insane to me. But I mean, she, she also couldn't prove it despite 
despite us never speaking, despite her not knowing details about my case, despite nothing else, she couldn't just say like, this happened and here's how it happened. Because we still have this backwards ass view of what the perfect rape victim looks like in our minds. The perfect rape victim is, you know, a church going woman who, you know, is walking home alone from Sunday school and is jumped in a bush and is beaten to a pulp and just cries and just looks like a broken fawn. That's not what all of us look like. Some of us go to work immediately after. Some of us go cry in the shower. Some of us do a pile of cocaine instead, right? Like we all deal with our trauma differently but it, it it pisses me off because whoever whatever this officer or whatever this police department thought that a perfect victim would look like was not the woman that reported after me and it's so frustrating but what's that got to do with the price of fish do you know what I mean? Like, what does that have to do with anything? They know that the publication band was there, okay? And what do, what does every armchair detective, you don't even have to be one, have you seen CSI? You're going to know the term signature, <laughs> pattern of behaviour, you know, MO. We're talking about a key concept that is a development. Like, obviously, each crime will not mirror exactly each crime, but there is a pattern of behaviour that is consistent in this. There is a signature that is consistent in this. The police know that that wasn't publication. They know that that wasn't public knowledge. They know that it was a closed court. They know that she doesn't know you. So in that statement, in the thought process, do they not investigate further? If My advocacy as well, and I always say this, people get so angry at me, I say believe every single survivor. And that is 100% what I believe because Every single person who comes forward to police, that being 14% of sexual assault victims on average, they should have access to an equitable system that provides them with the op- the, with the opportunity to have an investigation done. It shouldn't be whether they are white and privileged. That should have no impact on the fact that they are a person who has experienced potentially a trauma. It is the police's job to investigate that. It's not the police's job to have racial bias. It's not the police's job to have an ideal victim in mind. It's not their job. All they had to do was prove that there was similar transaction evidence that was occurring to bring forward a likelihood and a probability that this did occur. And it just, I mean, I'm just so enraged because it is people like that that are failing us. And if you think about it, there's only that 14% coming from people don't come forward about this. So if you have somebody who is in a position where they want to, where they can, where they are okay to, or where they're reaching out for, like, if they're doing that, that needs to be taken so seriously. If you don't have the resources to deal with it, then lobby for more. It's not to just dismiss people. It just, it makes absolutely no sense to me. It's absolutely ridiculous because this is one of the only cases where you actually can prove that there is a signature of behavior happening. There is a pattern here. Yeah. And it's it's frustrating too, right? Because I mean, the presumption of innocence is always on the accused, right? But I would, and I would love to see, yeah, but what about the presumption of innocence that, you know, the person coming forward isn't lying? And what about the presumption that they are telling the truth and that you know, they're not making shit up and they're not fucking crazy? Um, the presumption of innocence needs to extend the other side of that as well. 
Um, and I think that that's something that is going to take a long time for uh, at least us in Canada to kind of wrap our heads around. Because, yeah. I mean, the number of times that, you know, women have come out and said, um, this happened to me. And a number of times that have guys said, yeah, but it, I I didn't do it. Oh, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to believe him because he's he's obviously saying that it didn't happen. It's like, well, okay, but what, like, what about me? Like, what do I not count? Like, am I not am I not a real person? Like, what's happening? And I, yeah. anytime I see a bad sexual assault case in the news, um, like everything that's going on with Hockey Canada right now, and the the eighteen year olds that have been you know gang raping women after. Um, winning hockey tournaments. Um, that's huge fucking news right now. And like, it's hard. It's really hard because we are a hockey loving country and it is very hard for us to cheer for our boys right now because of all the shit that they're doing behind the scenes. But even right now with those stories coming out, these women that are finally coming forward and saying like, this happened to me, they're they're getting thrown under the bus and they have publication bans on their name and they deserve publication bans on their name because the internet is cruel and men are awful. Men are absolutely terrible to these women. Twitter is a violent, violent place for, for a sexual assault survivor to be. Um, so many things need to change. And, you know, part of me just, I get frustrated when I hear this shit because I'm like, just make rape legal. Like, like you would save us all so much fucking trouble if we could just go back to just making all this shit legal because you don't believe us anyway. It's frustrating. Yeah. And obviously people can't hear or see the sarcasm in that statement. So I will oh, obviously God, yeah. that is, <laughs> no, that is uh, an incredible sarcasm. And I understand that. And I feel that I, that's why I'm saying this is the decriminalization. And when we say things like believe survivors and believe all survivors and trust people and things like that, that doesn't remove somebody's presumption of innocence. Both things can coexist. Okay. I believe that somebody, yes, there should be evidence that proves that they went, that they did do that. We we're not out here willy nilly saying just charge everybody. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that. Also, also we're working within a court system that doesn't work most uh, all of the time, say all of the time. It doesn't work. Yeah. Um, it's not a fair statement to say if, but like if somebody comes forward, you can't believe them until they've been convicted of it. That's not fair. And coming forward and saying, we do believe everybody and therefore a hundred percent of people deserve to be in prison. That's not saying that either. It's saying that a hundred percent of people deserve to have access to an investigation to bring it forward. If there is enough evidence and it is possibility, and then to convict that person, if they're found not guilty, they're not found innocent, but if they're found not guilty, then that's a system failure potentially, or they actually might not have done it. And that's a different scenario. It's, you can have the presumption of innocence and retain the presumption of innocence. And you can also believe survivors. Those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Hi fam. I'm just popping in here to close part one with Kelly If you can, please go to the show notes for this episode and support Kelly in her advocacy. You'll find two links there where you can assist, one if you're in Canada and one from all over the world. So please make sure that you go check those out to see if you can take five minutes to support the advocacy that she's doing at the moment. There's also some contact details for Kelly there. If you want to send her an email or follow her on Twitter, then please access that through the show notes of this episode. If you'd like to get in touch with me, all of those details are there as well. So please make sure you follow us on the socials, get in touch with me, slide into my DMs, send me an email. I love hearing from you. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye.